So with that introduction, if you will, with the seriousness of it, I wanted to continue this morning in Second Peter chapter 2, uh, starting at, at, well, actually verse 12. You know, when we looked at verses 4 through 11 last week, we looked at the doom of false teachers. You know, they're, they're, going, to, uh, they're going to be dealt with. You know, verse 4, you know, God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but he cast them down to hell to be delivered in the chains of darkness, reserved for judgment. You know, uh, we've talked about uh, God didn't spare the ancient world in verse 5 about Noah. You know, we read in, in, in Genesis uh, 6. You know, and, and what's interesting about that real quick is that God always, his judgment was always preceded by a time of grace, by a time of, of warning, by a time, you know, judgment is always the last thing. And so you know when the judgment of God falls, it's serious. He has, he has come to the point where the cup is, is running over. There's nothing left for him to do. We talked about verse 6, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, um, Genesis 19. If you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, if you look at it intricately, what is really happening there? There were several different things here. You know, people were quick to pick out homosexuality, which it was rampant, but that is not the, that is, that is a, a symptom. That wasn't the cause. The cause was actual uh, anarchy. It was, it was ungodliness in forms that broke out in, in ways that, that deprived men. You know, in Romans uh, chapter 1, men were, were not acknowledging God anymore. Men didn't care about the ways of God anymore. In fact, it wasn't important to them. They didn't even think about it. And God said an interesting thing. You know, there was a progression. God gave them up. God gave them up. And finally, God gave them over. He says, okay, if you, if you want your, your vile affections, your, your godless thinking, you're leaving me out, you're not wanting me, I'm going to give you over. And we see the natural outbreak of that all over the place. And judgment is coming because men fail to, to understand the love of God. They fail to even want God. They're wicked and they don't want anything to do with Him. One of the main things that we've talked about a lot, and my research has gone to this point as far as evolutionists and the thinkers of this day uh, that have the PhDs and all this stuff, is the fact that they speak out truly out of a fork and wicked tongue. Because out of one side, they're saying, yeah, God, they're, you know, they're, it's evolution. You know, there is no God. You know, we evolved and uh, everything's going to go on the same and we're going to get better and better and, and evolution and, and which obviously is a great gateway to lead atheism. And on the other side of their, of their tongue, they speak of, we will not let a divine foot in the door. So you say, how, how, you know, how do you expect the world to get any kind of congruent understanding of what these men are thinking? They're godless men. They speak and they laugh of judgment. They're infiltrating the church through this Christian psychology and so forth. And these men are creeping in unawares. But God has said in the past, Here's my form of judgment. When wickedness gets to a point where I can't condone anymore, I am going to judge it. But I always follow my judgment with warning. You know? So we, we talked about these false, these false teachers. Let's start this morning in, in, in verse 12 of chapter 2. But these... Talking about those that are unclean, presumptuous, self-willed, verse 10, they're not afraid to speak of dignitaries or angelic uh, majesties. 
But these, like natural brute beasts, verse 12, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Remember Jude and Jude 8 was speaking, Likewise, these also dreamers who defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil and dignitaries, they will, they will perish. God is serious about his truth. Verse 13, And will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. There are spots, blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Isn't that amazing? While they feast with you, their, their, their demise is to undertake you. You know, they're like an undertow in the ocean. You know, everything looks great on the top. But once you get in there, there's, there's, a, there's a contrary undercurrent, and that's for your demise. It's going to take you out. That's what these men do. And they're all over the place. Verse 14 says, They have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children. Do these people exist? Yes, they exist. They were rampant in the first century, and the Bible says they're going to go get worse. This, my friends, is leading to the spirit of Antichrist. Which Paul, when we get, or excuse me, John, when we get in 1 John, we're going to see what that spirit really entails. It is everywhere. Wow. They're cursed children. They have forsaken the right way, verse 15, and they've gone astray, following the way of Balaam son of Beor, who loved the rages of unrighteousness. Now, we'll get into him in just a little bit. It's, it's interesting. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Let's read down a little bit. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now we all know what happened to Baal. He was struck down with a sword. This is apostasy. They've forsaken the right way. Apostasy is a departure from that which is right. And it's not humanly right, it's a departure from what is right godly. What the godly truth, biblical truth, they depart from it. Now, there are people that get caught in ignorance and get caught in false doctrine unawares because they might be sitting under you know, somebody that, that teaches false doctrine. Whatever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people that are apostates that they leave the right way. They depart from it. We read that Second 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and elsewhere. That is leading to the deception of the lie that's going to come and pave the way for this Antichrist. This is what's coming. And people laugh at it. So, oh, you're just too serious. You know, we should be happy. <laughs> you know? Let me tell you something. 
I can tell you by authority of the Word of God, you want to know the happiest person in the world, that's the one who's abiding in Christ. That's the happiest person in the world, if you want to use that word. The Bible says that we have what they call rapturous joy. It is an inner gladness that springs up from simply knowing the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. We're to take it seriously. These people are coming in. Um, and remember, if, as we read the whole thing, remember 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is described what is really the spirit of this. It's Satan disguising himself as an angel of righteousness. Disguising himself, like Barnhouse used to always say, if you want to find the devil, look behind the pulpit. Because that's where the deception really starts coming in. This is serious. So in verse 15, we understand that apostasy is those that have forsaken the right way and gone astray. And look at this, following the way of Balaam. Balaam, the son of Beor. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You know, the way of Balaam is the way of compromise. He sought to serve God in self-interest at the same time. His was a, a making a profit. Now the doctrine of Balaam is different, and we won't get into that much of the fact that he he taught uh, Barak the art of well, I can't curse what God doesn't curse. Well, I'll tell you what. They're not supposed to intermingle with anybody, but I would bet you if you took some of your wives, you can probably uh, you know, entice some of these uh, Israelitish men. But nonetheless, he was not on the straight and narrow. He forsook the right way. He forsook the divine uh, message, and he mixed it with his self-interest, which is greed and hypocrisy. And he went to such an end that God forbade him the madness of this prophet by speaking to a donkey. That is amazing. There's where you understand that God can do whatever he wants to do. Well, do you believe in tongues? Yeah, I believe in tongues. If God wants a person to speak in tongues, he, God can do what he wants to do. But he also lays down precedents so we can see and understand and discern what is right and what is false. We all know that, the, that tongues, for example, have been... But God has set down the precedent of his word, what's right and what's wrong. Can God do anything? Yes. God created a fish that swallowed Jonah. The natural mind will say that's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. He's serious. Did Balaam repent? When the donkey heard of him, or a donkey spoke to him. Don Francisco has a song that has a, a phrase that goes like this about this instance. He said, um, there's a big uh, soldier in the way ready to part your hair when you and my sword connected. Talking about how Baal had the donkey talk to him, saving his life. God will do whatever he has to do. But he restrained the man as the prophet. Look at 17. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Here's the description. Listen to this, verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, 
They are lured through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, through the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Wow. They promise liberty, verse 19. That's the thing. They promise liberty. You can have your best life now. There is one standard thing that cults have in common. They all say they speak the truth. They all say they have some liberating freedom. You know? But they're actually bringing people into bondage. The only person that is able to free is the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. What did the religious leaders say? We've never been in bondage to anybody. How dare you say that about us? Religion will bond you. Anything other than the, the way of Jesus Christ and the truth of God will bind you. And these speakers, they have great charisma. They know how to speak. Let me tell you something, I, uh, and I say this with all sincerity. We have an example of this in, pre in previous administration. We had in the 90s a great orator who probably who was equated, and I mentioned this before, as probably being one of the greatest orators since JFK. Speaking great things, everybody loved to listen to him. Great speech, or State of the Union speeches and so forth, let alone he was desecrating the White House. Speaking great swelling words, but inside he's full of corruption and sin and distortion and treason in my, in my mind. That's what happens here. You have great swelling words, great people that, that speak so many good things. Millions of people are deceived by the, you can have your best life now mentality. Why they're leading them into corruption. Promise them liberty, verse 19 again, and they themselves are slaves of corruption by whom a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. Listen to that. By whom a person is overcome. Think about that word. We'll be looking at it in the next verse. Overcome. Verse 24. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse than the first. That word overcome. Is, could be used is used sometimes in in the the, uh, the language of, of wrestling. You know when you grapple with somebody and you are overcome, and you are taken down and you are pinned and you lose. Overcoming is something that is a key understanding because. When we get into 1 John, we're going to see that the Christian is an overcomer. He is not overcome, but he overcame through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and through the Spirit of God that lives in him. Let me read something out of Matthew chapter 12. If you want to turn there, fine. If not, just listen. But Jesus talked about this. <laughs> this is absolutely wonderful. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 and remember, he's talking to the religious leaders at this time. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 and 44, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it be with this wicked generation. Peter's answer to that will be in verse 22. We'll get to that in a second. Isn't that amazing? That's religion. That's self-reformation, or whatever you want to call it. That's swelling words. You know, just, again, I cannot get away from that. This is the times that we live. You know, prosperity doctrine is out there. You know? God wants to make you prosperous, and God wants to make you wealthy beyond all imagination, and God wants to do this. God can do what he wants to do, but the present of this age is that we have taken our place with a crucified, rejected Christ. We're walking through a world that crucified him, and would do it again, an exceedingly wicked world. And the Bible says that if they hated him, they're going to hate us. We see all over the place unprecedented persecution, three quarters of the world. It is coming here, and God has promised that love not your life even unto death, and you will receive the crown of life, which I will give to those that love me. It's having your best life now mentality. They promise you liberty. God wants you to have that leave it to be for society. God wants you to have everything that your little heart desires. Not telling you that deception of everything is that men are incurably wicked. Men want their own way. Men are like little kids. Men want everything their own way. And when they don't get it, they cry and they whine and they throw a fit. So God, in his providential care, because he loves us, you can have your life a better life now. And you can be a happy guy. I'm not against happiness, but I'm for the truth. So again, back in, in 2 Peter 2.24, after they have escaped the pollutant, pollutions excuse me, of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in and overcome. The latter end for them is worse than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. Again, they knew it. They knew the right way and they knew the things of God and they turned from it. We don't want a foot, a divine foot in the door and we could go from there. But they have turned from it. Look at verse 22 real closely. But it happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having been washed to her wallowing in the mire. Wow. Wallowing in the mire. Proverbs 26, 11 says this, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his own folly. My friends, we're not fools. We're overcoming people. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been given the capability of knowing right from wrong. And the power 
to understand and live the right way. Listen to these things that John writes in 1 John chapter 2. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Watch out. There are those out there that don't know anything of this life, but yet they, they are there to destroy and deceive. People say, well, you know, wow, you're, you're just paranoid. That's not paranoia. That's wisdom. That's godly wisdom for the last days. How then should we live? Pastors need to, to know that it is your job to guard, to guide, and to nourish your sheep or the people that put it, are put in your authority. If you are not doing that, you are sinning and you are warped. You need to repent. Because this is happening. And it's happening everywhere. Open up your eyes if you stand behind a pulpit or teach anybody. And if you're not doing it because you're afraid of losing people in your church, woe unto you. That's ridiculous. God will take care of our needs. People don't want to hear this. But the true remnant of Christ, the true people that walk with Him and love Him and know that, that His coming is imminent and what He says about the future is true, they will rejoice in hearing these things. I want to be equipped. I want my wife to know these things. I want my children to know these things because if I should die before my wife, I want her to be, I want her to be able to be equipped and to know these things and to have lived. And so when I'm gone, she could carry on and know these things uh, as a strong, mature believer in Jesus Christ and do whatever God calls her to do for my children. But verse 21, I'll, I'll talk about this and, and then we'll get in chapter 3 real quick, but it would have been better. That's strong language. If those that are overcome, if those that know the gospel, that have heard the things of God, that, that have heard that Jesus Christ has come and is offering forgiveness of sins and offering a new life, and He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by Him, and the life that that entails, if they had heard that and they leave it and they're overcome with all this uh, sin, he says it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it. Now, the writer of the Hebrews in, in Hebrews 6 talks a lot of light on this, on this plane. And his terms on verse 9, But, brethren, we are speaking better things concerning you. Later on in that verse, he's talking about the church, that we that these aren't applicable to us, because we've escaped the pollutants of the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you get all these warnings, you know, from, again, the writer of the Hebrews, I think it's Paul, but you get Paul, you get Peter, you get John, you get the Lord himself. They're speaking of the danger of this happening. And us that hold the truth, this is what we need to guard at all costs. You know, are we, are we doing that? Are we serious? Peter writes, we just got done with it. I was speaking with uh, um, a brother the other day of this. One of the greatest things, I think, in the Old Testament or the New Testament should wake us up. Peter said in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious or sober-minded and watchful in your prayers. Wow. They're serious. Seriousness brings joy. <laughs> the more I know about this, the more I read, and the more that the Lord shows me the seriousness of his word and what's happening, the more joyous I am. Because you know what? I know that the enemy is so busy trying to counterfeit, trying to dilute, trying to twist, trying to distort, trying to discredit the truth that I have. I know how precious it is because I see my enemy trying to tear it apart. And he's sending people in to infiltrate And try to, to take that message and, and, and destroy it to no avail. So I guess I do owe my enemy a little bit of thanks of showing me how serious it must be for him because it should be serious for me. He says, Beloved, 3.1, Now I write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. The prophets spoke of this of old. You cannot read the word of God. It's not like we're doing something new here. No, the prophets of old spoke constantly of judgment to come. A false, there was false prophets then. There are going to be false teachers now. They were always infiltrating Telling people a lie. We have a precious truth. Satan wants you to think that, this, that he doesn't exist, so the precious truth is just explained in different ways. See, we're in a different century now, so the Word of God is explained differently now. You know, it's, it's, you know the different generation have different things. That's why we need all these watered-down translations, and that's why... You know, you can't be so harsh on some people because, after all, we're finding new diseases and we're all really delicate. And if you tell somebody they're a sinner, well, that's not really going to work because that's rubbish. The Word of God is the Word of God. And Peter says, I'm leaving you. And I'm not going to go away fearing that you might go, oh, here he goes again. <laughs> The guy is constantly telling that's all he's talking about is sin and judgment. We're sick about hearing it. He doesn't care. He's willing to allow people to think that. He is more mindful of minding God than worrying about what people think about his same old message of judgment and sin. You know? And the world has gotten away from that. The church has gotten away from that. Judgment and sin are something that is not dealt with anymore the way it should be, except for by the remnant of the church of Jesus Christ. Brethren, let's be in that remnant. Let's do our job. 
Because when you stand before Christ, that's all that's going to matter. It's not going to matter who you offended, who you didn't offend. It's not going to matter of how, you know, you know, it's like my mom used to say to my sister, oh, you had a rough day at work, just go buy yourself something, you know? Gosh, God's not like that. God says that you are dead. How much more offensive can that be if I came to you that was not a non-believer and you were prideful and I said, you know what, you're dead sin. How much more offensive can that be? So God's not worrying about uh, somebody telling somebody, yeah, judgment's coming, but I know you don't want to hear it, so I, you know what, I'll just, well, I, I don't want to lose my congregation or whatever. I don't want to lose my popularity, so I'm not going to say that. Read the prophets Jeremiah. Read, read uh, Ezekiel. Read Isaiah. These men dealt with this constantly. Constantly talking about judgment. They were laughing at it. So Peter says, I'm going to remind you of these things. You know, I know it's not popular. I know you're going to sneer at me, but you know what? I'm going to go see my Lord. I answer to him and him alone. And by the way, these words that I speak to you, they're nothing new, because go look back in your, your, your prophets. Go to your prophets. Paul said the same thing, right? When he was on trial at the end, of, you look at in Acts in the later chapters, he says, I am on trial here simply for the promises that your prophets made to the fathers. That's why I'm here. Peter's saying, I know this is not true, uh, that, that I really care. It's not true. You know, I don't care. I care about what God thinks. And he loves you, and so do I. And there, so therefore, I'm going to keep telling you the truth. These prophets spoke of the same thing, and now we have heard from the Master himself, and we're getting directly involved. We have the very life of God through the Holy Spirit in us. And he's saying this, First, knowing this first. Before we know of judgment, talk of judgment, we have to understand that there's going to be people mocking it and telling us it's not going to happen. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. They're going to come in the last days, and they're going to walk after their own lusts, and they're going to look at, at, at what their false mind puffs up and what their visions dictate. Listen to this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Sweet for bitter. Darkness for light. Calling evil good and good evil. They're all over the place. He says, I want to tell you that, you know what, after I leave, just like what Paul did, scoffers are going to come in these last days. You know, we've been in the last days uh, since Christ was crucified. Since Pentecost, the church has been dealing in the last days. We see that uh, vernacular of language all through the, the New Testament. But there is what they call the latter, last of the last days, where things are really getting heated up here. And we're going to know, and these teachers are going to walk according to their own lusts. Lust for money, lust for power, lust for greed, love for predominance. We see it all happening now. You look at all the people that are that have these huge mega churches that make merchandise of you. They tell you things that aren't true. They, they, they offer you a life that is, that is nothing. I might as well go to, to Tony Robbins and some of these other people and know how to get millions of dollars to live the good life now. 
If I want to live a good life now, I'm not going to open the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to open some of these self-help things. I'm going to get everything I can, all the women I can, you know, the sexual pleasure I can, all the money I can. I know how to do that. You know what is really interesting here is that people by their own nature are that way. We don't need people saying, you can live your good life now with the saints. You can live your good life now and have God too. They've gone the way of Balaam. They are making merchandise of their calling. And they are leading countless of people astray. They are working not for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're working for the enemy of your souls. And they're overcome with sin. What are they saying in the last days? Hey, where is the promise of his coming? Let's get down to brass tacks now. Okay. Uh, since the beginning of time, everything has been happening accordingly. You know what? It doesn't matter. You know whether I, if I don't feel good, the sun still gets up. If I feel great, the sun still comes up. What's the big deal? You know. Five hundred years ago, there was people talking about this Christ and judgment. They're gone. They're dead. You don't hear them anymore. They're saying, "Where's the promise of His coming?" They have no idea of the catching away of the saints. They have no idea what's leading up to Him supposedly coming to this earth. They're what they're saying is that, "Hey, you know what? You really think that God's going to come back to this earth in judgment? Because that's why He's coming back, folks. Even the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints, is going to cause unprecedented chaos and harm to this earth. We all know that. You imagine millions of people being snatched away. What what is going to? It's going to be havoc on this earth. That's nothing." Christ coming back, he's coming back in judgment. And they're saying, no, uh-uh, no. Really, are you kidding me? Prove it to me. Prove it to me when he's coming back. That the Lord your God will bring you back from the captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again and all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's talking about, and then all the nations that are against you, he will bring into judgment. You know, because all continues as it was. Well, look at verse 5. For this they willingly forget. Willingly. Okay? It does not even enter their mind things of God, nor, nor the things that, that purport to be true in the Bible. They willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Read down a little bit. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. Now, I know that some of the newer translations don't have the, the phrase the same word. But if you look at it in context, what it's talking about here, that word that was used by commandment to destroy in judgment once, by the authority of that same word or that judgment will be used to destroy again in the final judgment. 
That's what it means. The God in his word, he doesn't go, oh, well, gee, you know what? I really blew it in flooding the earth. So, wow, that course of judgment was wrong. I think I'll go to another course. That is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about by that same uh, percent or same principle of judgment, that same word is that I deluged the earth before in judgment. It's coming again. Only that was nothing compared to the final judgment when this heaven and earth are going to be reserved for fire and I'm going to make everything new. Do you believe it? <laughs> the world doesn't believe it. These false prophets don't believe it. It's amazing. The willing to forget that this world, as it was, existed, but it perished, being flooded with water. Look at verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved, again, by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 6, the world that was. Verse 7, the world that is. The world that was, was judged. The world that is, is being reserved for judgment. Look at verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. A peculiar verse to put in right there, almost done. Tim LaHaye writes this about this verse. He said, God is present everywhere. I love this man. <laughs> By the way, it just, it just went to be a Lord at Toronto. God is present everywhere. I'm going to read my notes. Everywhere, and is not limited by time and space. He is not bound by the natural flow of time as humans experience it. A thousand years is but a brief span to one who inhabits eternity. Conversely, a day with the one who knows all things at all times might seem like a thousand years to the finite mind of mankind. It's an interesting way of looking at this. But in context, look at it as in verse, light of verse 4. Hey, it's, it's been that way for thousands of years. I mean... Come on, man. You know, like I said, the sun sets, the sun rises. Even the most terrible storms, people know that the storm's going to get over and there's going to come a day when the sun is going to come up again and everything's going to be fine, you know? But God says not so, because I'm the one who inhabits eternity. And what I'm telling you now, what you think you have time to do and you're laboring in is nothing but a bleep in my eternal perspective. And only God can do that. Getting back to Peter's first epistle in Peter chapter uh, 4, verse 7. The end of all things at hand, therefore be serious, okay? So if all things are at hand, do we dare have the time to listen to these men that say, Hey, God wants you to party now. God wants you to have your best life now. In fact, you know what? God has a plan for your life, and whoa, he wants to fulfill it now. No, the plan for, his, for our life is that we are in Jesus Christ, seated with him in the heavenlies, waiting for him to come back. The consummation of the ages should be something that we eagerly look forward to. Most of these people in this plastic Christianity don't even have any idea of what's going on. They don't have any idea that judgment is coming. 
But he says in verse 9, But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see that word perish in there? There is the answer. Because men that are not directed by the Lord Jesus Christ and don't have his best interest and his true message, they aren't talking about perishing. Perishing is not the, uh, the thrust of their being here, the thrust of their ministry. We want to keep men and women from perishing. We want to raise up men and women biblically literate and biblically mature in the Lord that they could go and plead with men not to perish. But they must have a message that will keep people from perishing. And this message says, repent or judgment. It is Christ or judgment. This is a clear-cut message. And when we see falsity coming in, uh, rivaling that message, we must defend it. We must know the difference. And that is what's happening here. Time is short. Writer of the Hebrews is constantly saying, Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God is not interested in a happy, carefree, joyous, or you know, a happy, carefree life that we can all just be happy in. And God wants me to be prosperous, and He wants me to have a good job, and He wants me to have a great marriage, and He wants me just to wake up every morning and go, Oh, God is good. Life is great. Yeah, God is good. But the writer of Jude, that who we first opened this discussion this morning up, says that we, our job as Christians are to warn people of this, warn people of their plight, and to snatch people from the fire. People are in fire. I will end with this this morning. As I've said before, you want to know really what, what the, the heartbeat of why Christ came to this earth? What the heartbeat of our message is to get the gospel out, the pure gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. By this you stand, by this you are saved. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him, here's that word again, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know the last verse of John chapter 3? Most people don't know, the other side of the sword. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's a problem here. People are heading to hell. They're heading towards judgment. It's coming it's imminent. Do we really love those people for afraid we're going to offend them? We as parents don't. We, we shouldn't. We, we raise our kids. Do we go, oh, I can't discipline Johnny because I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to hurt his feelings. No, you discipline Johnny for his good. Because if Johnny continues on that course, there's a sword coming. Whether it's your paddle or something else. And God says that he gave his only begotten son that those that would believe in him, that would be born again, wouldn't perish. Because, believe me, they're on the road right now to hell. 
And they're on a road to judgment. And judgment is coming. And those out there that are saying, ah, judgment, ah, come on. There's no judgment coming. God won't judge me. After all, I've done things, you know, to the best of my ability. I've been a good guy. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't raped anybody. I've done the best of loving my father and my mother. I've done, I've done all things that, you know, I've, I've done, you know... It, I've only gone against my conscience a few times. I've had some kids that were outside of Jesus Christ. I know what they think. I spent time at a major university speaking to people. I know what they think. People innately think that they are good. So if you take away the, the sin factor, you take away judgment, you take away the, the, the fact that if they don't turn to Christ to be forgiven of their sin, God will judge them as alienated to them. They laugh at it because they've been brought up to think that we're so good. You know, we're really not that bad. You know, we seem to say, that's the whole problems of the first three chapters of Romans. People want to set camps. You know, I would never be over in that camp. Oh, God, look at me. I am glad that you're not, you know, I'm not like that guy over there. You know, I'm not an extortioner. I, I, you know, wow, I'm a great. And then there's the guy over here, knowing, reading Romans chapter 3, so to speak, my paraphrase, that said, that beats on his breast, said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He's justified. He diverted from judgment, because his judgment now has fallen on Christ, and he receives that. Because he knows without Christ there's judgment. And this, this whole idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being alluded today, watered down, because there is no gospel that is going to be understood until we realize what the gospel has saved us from, what Christ has saved us from. Jesus explained that. Remember when the, when the prostitute went away? She loved much. Why? Because she knew she was forgiven much. He said. And there are those around there, out there, and I always say this for extra emphasis because I know it's true. I've experienced it in one, in one particular uh, kid of mine. There are people out there, folks, that are deluding and deceiving and lying to your kids. And if you don't take that seriously, there's something wrong. They're lying to your neighbors. And it doesn't have to be a blatant lie. Well, you know, I don't believe the Bible at all. It could be a deluding lie. It could be, you know, as we, as we get into the last part, next week we'll finish 2 Peter, and we're going to see that he's even saving the great apostle Paul. Some of the men will twist that whole idea of salvation. You know, they'll twist it to their own destruction and those that hear them. There's those out there. What if you go to a, a church that doesn't really say anything wrong, but they water the gospel down and they never talk about sin and judgment. They never talk about these things. They are deluding you. They are, they are putting the people in the sense of a social gospel. They leave them in a false sense of security and they don't think on these things. And it's serious business. 
because there's going to come a time, and it's going to happen real soon, that we will all be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ sooner than later. You know? Because <laughs> I don't know if anybody in here, I know I'm probably the youngest one in here. I know Mike and I are probably the two youngest ones. Maybe Mike, Evie, and I are, but, but nonetheless... I know that half my life's over. I'm 55. I'm not going to live to 110. Even if I did, I wouldn't want to. So if I live to a ripe old age, half my life is gone. I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ sooner than later. We don't have time to be messing around with his word. We don't have time to be messing around with his right. If you have something to say to somebody in correction and love, by all means, say it. Don't worry of offending somebody. If you are telling them the truth, sometimes growing up, my father made me mad. I would never maybe admit it to him or anybody else then, but he would make me mad. But especially now that he has been gone for 11 years now, I am so thankful that he told me the truth, that he was straightforward with me instead of going, I can't bother Jeff. I don't want to really upset him. You know, he's a fragile guy. I'm so glad that he did that. And he told the truth. At the expense of maybe I would be upset. Or maybe I wouldn't, you know, like him or whatever. Love goes way beyond that. Love tells the truth. Love rocks the boat. And love protects the most precious commodity we have, and that's the Word of God. Mike, you want to pray, please? Thank you for saving us in hope. We eagerly desire for the redemption of these bodies and uh, of this creation. Thank you for Second Peter warning us and equipping us, uh, preparing us for the time in which we live against our adversaries and we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony of that we are in your hand and that's a safe place to be and we desire to worship you Mm -hmm. Uh, it is reasonable our service to you thank you for the word that's gone forth and apply it to our inner man Amen Uh, communism is to report that people communism is like coming to the universities and the and the the uh, colleges and they're after our children. That's exactly what a cult does. That's exactly what falsity does. And you and I, as being students of the Word of God, we want to be we want to be not only knowledgeable in it, but we want to know our God uh, and know His Word fiercely and stand on it and stand on it alone. There are going to come a time, and mark my word, unless God comes. In the rapture first, 
that spiritual deception will be so intertwined in America, people will think it's Christian. There will be so much spiritual delusion in here, people will think it's Christian. You remember on the Left Behind series, when when the, the, the gal has um, gone over to uh, Nikolai, which is the Antichrist, and she talks to this other guy, and I don't know, I'm not going to go into it, but she says, you know, you really get to know this guy, you like him, I think he's a Christian. That is what the deception is all about. See, we know, we, can't, we know that the devil cannot wipe out Christianity, biblical Christianity, but he can sure subvert it. He can sure twist it and make the most diabolical lie somehow fit into some false uh, persuasion that this must be of God. And Paul says here, how? He says in 1 Timothy 4, he says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, how? Satan is behind it. And as Dr. Barnhouse used to say, Satan's not going to come on the scene with a red pitchfork. and He's not going to set up his city of wicked gangsters and, and full of fraudulent people, people hating one another, stabbing one another. No, he's going to set up a good, clean city, people that wear suits, but that deny that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. They're going to deny that the Bible is the only authoritative uh, document from God to man of faith and practice. This is what's going to happen. This is what's happening now. You and I happen to know the truth. We love the truth. We're enveloped with the truth. We're indwelt with the truth. And praise the Lord, we speak the truth. But you know what? We are to have concern with other people. We are to, to denounce false shepherds, denounce false teachers, but we are also to guard our families, guard those around us from falsity. We as a church have a responsibility, and that is to be watching. Some of us are called to be watching. But do you know that uh, James, after his and the end of his epistle, he says this, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he has turned a sinner from the error of his way and will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's rampant. We looked at this morning the Ephesian, the, 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 the church at Ephesus. How this church in particular, and probably many others, because uh, epistles in those days were circulated um, around. No doubt some of the other churches read the same epistle that, the, that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Nonetheless, they knew the correct doctrine. They knew the correct positions. And yet, things have crept in unawares. Jude talks about what we hit on some of that this morning, how people, men have crept in unawares, whose condemnation has been marked out from long ago. This is nothing new. You know, when I first became a Christian, I, I, you know, and it's true, when, when you know, a baby first comes into the world, they might be a happy baby, and they might grow, and a youngster is happy because they have parents that guard them and feed them, and, every, and life is great. But once they get older and get out on themselves, and reality starts hitting, they realize that life is hard. Life is tough. They're in a battle here just to make ends meet, so to speak. When the Christian comes to Christ, he's enveloped with a love and a sense of forgiveness and an understanding that now God loves them and, and, and they're his. And that wears off and they start, getting, they start growing up and they start realizing we're in a battle here. And the battle is for the truth. You know, there's a false teacher out there that has a book that says the battle of the mind. Well, it is a battle of the mind. 
but it's a battle biblically of the mind. It's not, it's not a battle of, of philosophy and, and, and veering off. People's minds are set on what they know to be true. In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed. You know, two weeks ago when we started this chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Second Peter, I just want to go over a few points before, before we go on. There will also be false prophets among the people even. That's a connective word. And we'll get into that as we get into chapter 3. We'll see the same thing. How Paul or Peter's talking about the judgment. He said that God judged the world in this flood. But by this same word, it's a connective of God is going to continue this promise by the same word that he exacted judgment. Well, here we see that there was false prophets back then, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now before I go on, words do mean something. You know, words have meanings. And one of the things that I think that in the la these last days that are going to happen is not only a twisting of God's word, because that's exactly what Satan is. Yea, hath God said. Now, one thing I like about the second verse, uh, that many will follow their destructive ways, and because of who the way of truth may be blasphemed, there's a word that's very descriptive, and, and uh, they use it in the King James Version. It's called pernicious. And many will follow their pernicious ways. The word pernicious, it, it means it applies to that which does great harm, insidiously undermining or weakening. That's what that word means. Insidiously undermining or weakening. And the Bible says that many will follow their destructive ways. Not because they're coming out and saying, hey, this is false doctrine, pay attention to me. You don't want to go with the Bible says, go with my, no, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're destructing and they're undermining. Yea, hath God really said, a sinner? Hey, come on, we all know you're not that bad. Surely God will not judge a predominant figure in the community who's raised sons and daughters to be doctors and lawyers, who has been married for 45 blameless years, who has never done anything wrong that we can see of, surely God will not judge somebody like that. What if that feeds right into human nature? That alleviates fear. Let's get back to the prophets and say, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Many will follow their destructive ways by whom the way of truth may be blasphemed or maligned. Either way, the truth of God is put aside for something of a better understanding. You know, and another thing too, if we look at all the things that the Bible looks at, as far as sin goes, sin comes from within the outworking of sin is just that, the outworking of what's already in there. 
Man can do nothing about that. He was born that way. He was born in the sinful nature. What do we see today? We see a doctrine floating around amongst false teachers that say, wait a minute, hold it. Where, 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 is, where did original sin really come? What is original sin? You know, And they're going so far and saying, no, babies aren't born in sin. They acquire a sin after they get up to the age of accountability or where they can be right and wrong. Thus, they take away the fact that man was born of the sinful nature. Save Christ. Hence the virgin birth. Hence the maligning of doctrine. Hence the undermining and the weakening of the truth. He says in verse 3, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time the judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. I want to read something to you. This is a very, very instructive chapter uh, in the prophets. It's Je- uh, Jeremiah 23. You can turn there if you like. If not, that's okay. We're going to be dealing with different parts. But I think sometimes it's very instructive to actually turn to the Word and see it rather than just to hear it. So the next time that something pops in your mind, you go, well, wait a minute, I, I think we did that in Jeremiah somewhere. Jeremiah chapter 3, I want to start verse 16. Now remember our, our, our text where it says that there's many that are going to be uh, destructive in their ways and they're going to deceive you by exploiting deceptive words. Peter says, just as a prophet's experience that of false prophets of old, you're going to have that now. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, starting verse 16. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not from the mouth of the Lord. Is that what's happening today? Absolutely. Verse 17, they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Now, without going too much farther into this text, the word speaks for itself. Look at these two things. Those who despise me, they're going to say, hey, here, peace, peace, peace. And then they say that no evil shall come upon you. In other words, God is not going to judge. We're going to see in chapter 3 that Peter talks about the same thing. Where is the promise of his coming? What's going on? Judgment? People don't want judgment. People don't even think about judgment. People don't fear judgment today. Instead, they're replaced with the fear of God. Fear this. Judgment is something we must talk about. That's something that God warns about. He is trying to alleviate people from going through judgment. That he's not willing that any should perish in judgment. That all should come repentance. So these people are saying again, and to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, "No evil should come upon you." Look at verse eighteen. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and perceived and heard His word? Who has marked His word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. 
In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. Look at verse 21 if you're there. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Verse 23, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Verse 24, Who can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? You know, deception. Again, there's going to come such a deception that this world is going to know and going to see that everything will be, quote, unquote, connotated as one world, one uniting, and Christian will be the deceptive word. You know, I think that if we look at uh, so many things in the book of Revelation and so many things about the end time prophecies about this antichrist or this man of lawlessness, this deceivable one, this one that causes desolation, why and why at the root of it does he cause desolation? Because he wants to be worshipped as God. When in, in Revelation 5, I believe it is, when John was up there and, they, and the scroll was handed down from the Father and nobody was able to open it, and they all wept. But he says, be of good cheer. The lamb has prevailed. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy to open the, scroll, the scrolls and loose the book. And what does he do? He opens it up. And what do we have in the first scroll? A, a conqueror riding on a white horse. But it's not the white horse. The white horse isn't until the 19th chapter of Revelation. He goes out to conquer and, and, and to conquer. Destructiveness, deception is everywhere. You know, I've come to realize that that in, in my heart of hearts, I'd rather have a church that's small in number and, and strong in, in Jesus Christ and strong in the Word of God and able to stand these days that are coming. Because they are coming. And we can start seeing little hints of, of the fact that when the church is removed, there's a strong delusion that's going to pervade this world, that they will believe the lie. The lie is that Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the world, and there's no hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sins apart from Him. He's the truth. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to follow by me. And Pilate said an amazing thing when he was standing up to judge what is truth? Because Jesus said, all that are on the truth stand with me on the side of truth. And Pilate says, well, what is truth? Truth is something that, that the world has been grappling with forever. And that's why deception is so rampant, spiritual truth. You know, I think all of us right off the, the top of, of before I, I get into the heart of this uh, we need to be thankful for those that have, in our past, that have been uh, responsible for bringing the Word of God, for faithfully bringing the Word of God, for loving the Word of God, for nourishing us, for correcting us when we've gone astray, for being there and 
wanting and desiring our spiritual growth. You know, again, we, we can't go very far in this. I want to just recap. False teachers, destructive heresies. And what Jesus said in Matthew 24, take heed, which means this is prominence. Understand, listen, take recognition. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. This is a very key understanding. Christ means the anointed one. Many will come and say, I have the word of God. Many will come and say, look at all the men, quote unquote, God men that came from the East and the New Age movement, all these things. You know, it just took one man, Maharishi Mashiogi, to come and inform the Beatles and look at, look at the generation that they influenced. Many people will come in my name and say, I am Christ. Some are bold like David Koresh and other people that say that, yeah, I am Jesus. Louis Farragon, one of the latest ones, uh, and so forth. But the deception comes in when they say, I'm the anointed one. I have a, min, a message of God. And your way is narrow-minded. Your way says that there's only one way. That's too narrow-minded for this sophisticated society. After all, we are individuals. This is the 21st century. We have a lot to offer, but we don't have a lot to offer God. Let's go back to the scripture. And if anybody had a reason to boast before God, Abraham should have. But the Bible says not before God. He can boast before men, but not before God. So, destructiveness. John in his second letter describes the deceivableness of these people. For many deceivers have gone out in the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. They do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, not only proving his, his pre-existence, but the only one that is the hope of mankind. Without Christ, it's judgment. Without Christ, it's perishing. And God said, that is it. And these deceivers will come and will say, wait a minute. You know, okay, Jesus, we can't deny he was a man. But you know what? There's more than one way. You know, there's a lot of religions out there that say there's more than one way. There's some religions that say there's, there's more than one way that come to your door every week or every other week. You know, they're all around us. But yet, because they don't have the, maybe the, the language that we read all the time, we think, well, wait, this is old. This is talking about something else. No, folks, it's here now. I want to re I want to re say a quote from from Tim LaHaye that I think is just excellent on this matter, and then we'll go on. He says many will follow false teachers, especially in the last days. These cults, liberal churches, and occult movements, which are rapidly spreading all over our land, are speaking in the name of Jesus or of the Christ but never of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they will never talk about God as being the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's insightful. We need to thank God that he's raised up people like that. You see, doesn't that add validity to Ephesians 4? Where he gave some as apostles, some as evangelists, some as prophets, some as teachers, some as pastors, for the equipping of the saints, so that we would not be moved to and fro with various winds of doctrine. How dare these people say that these are old documents, we need something new. 
You know, where does the Bible say that experience runs the day? Where does the Bible say that that we, we live off experiences from one high peak to the other? It never does. Jesus dwells down in the valley of those that love him, that promise to bring them through the valley of death, that promise to lead them in their ways of understanding, that promise to know exactly when to let them lie down in green pastures and exactly when to go up in the, in the path of righteousness for his namesake. He is the good shepherd that has never left. And these false teachers are denying that very existence that Jesus came to give to us. He says in verse 3, again, by covetousness. You know what covetousness is? It is gleaning something that is not yours. Truth does not belong to false shepherds. Truth does not belong to false prophets. Truth does not belong to false teachers. Truth does not belong to lying and saying of, of lying wonders and signs. Because they're going to exploit you with deceptive words. Listen, I don't want people lying to my kids. I don't want people lying to my wife. I don't want people lying to you. I don't want people lying to me. But it says, with not only covetousness, these people with greed are going to take something that's not their own. Listen, the truth belongs to those that will cherish the truth. Belongs to those that will that will guard at all costs. Paul says repeatedly, guard what the Holy Spirit has entrusted to you. Paul says in 1 Timothy that I've been entrusted with the gospel of Christ. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is going to trust a faithful men. That's why we're told to teach faithful men that will teach also. But it does not belong to falsity. They're going to exploit you with deceptive words. And God, their judgment has not been idle. Their destruction does not lumber. lumber. It's, it's been from way back. God has spoken about these people. And it all started in the garden. It actually started before that. But man's deception started in the garden. And that is one of the reasons why that part of the scripture is so much laughed at and regarded as myth. Because you take out that discord in the garden and you and spiritual deception has really no uh, validity to it. Wow. You know, I'm going to go into Jude a lot. Flip over just a little bit. Look at Jude 4. Remember, verse 3, how, how these, these deceptive people will come in with deceptive words. The judgment's not idle. Look at Jude 4. He expounds on this. For certain men have crept in and noticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They deny him. Jesus said, if you don't have me, you don't have the Father also. They deny this redemptive truth. They've crept in. Where did they come from? Paul was warning, speaking of the church at Ephesus, the same thing in Acts 20. Watch out. Because you're going to be saying the same thing. Where did these people come from? They came from your own midst. They came from supposedly Christian origins, supposedly Christian churches. But oh no, they can't come with me. They came from Princeton Seminary. No, no, not knowing that Princeton Seminary has been apostate for years. Most of these people that stand behind the pulpits that have gone to seminary, or a lot of them, not all of them, are the product of the seminary that they spent years being fed under. 
Where do these people come from? Oh, no, they can't be them. Yes, they can be them. Dr. Barnow says this way, if you're looking for the devil, look behind the pulpit. That's where the deceiver of righteousness will be, and amongst other places. By covetousness, they're going to exploit you. Look at verse 4. If God did not spare the angels who sinned. These are strong words. You know, and I think that, that what's interesting about, the, about both Paul, the Apostle Paul, Peter, John, and, and Jude, is that they end their wonderful, uh, especially Peter and Paul, they end their wonderful epistles of so much richness with a warning. And it's all about judgment. As we talk about these things, especially in chapter 2 of, of 2 Peter, so uh, linked, if you will, in contentual understanding with Jude. Judgment, judgment, judgment is going to fall on these false teachers. Look at Jude 6. Explains it again. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Judgment. People don't like to be to talk about judgment or to hear about judgment. But the Bible's full of judgment. The Bible is full of the fact that God is God. He's holy and pure. He created everything good. He created humanity to have fellowship with Him in love. And yet, because of sin and men going their own way, God must judge sin. He must. If there's any part, uh, if there's any ideology or thinking apart from that fact, God is maligned. He is not represented truthfully. God must judge sin. And he judged yours and mine on the cross when he struck his son instead of you and I in judgment. I rightfully deserve judgment. I rightfully deserve it. I have gone my own way. But God caused all my iniquity to fall on the Lord Jesus Christ and your iniquity too. That's the wonderful thing about the good news. Satan hates the good news. And anybody who stands up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have an enemy that is going to try to stop you, going to try to distort you, going to try to, to uh, discourage you, depress you, Rob you of your joy? Twist up the scripture? Yeah, as God really said? Is that true of me? We were speaking some time ago, years ago, uh, we were doing a, uh, uh, a, a Bible study. We were teaching on the book of Romans. Well, I only made it this one in, in the book of Romans till the third chapter, and I was thrown out. You know why we were thrown out? People complain, that can't be me. That can't be me. Read the first chapter of Romans that all the world is accountable to God. All the world becomes guilty towards God. Not only accountable, yeah, I'm accountable to you, but I might not be guilty to you. But the language says we all become guilty before God. The, the depravity of sinful nature, the depravity of humanity, 
They never let me get to Romans 3.22. But now, those are some of the greatest words in the Bible. But now, the righteousness of God has been revealed through the prophets. That Jesus Christ is the answer. But you can't tell me that can't be me. Yes, it's you. I, I would amount that that if we if we read the first three uh, the two or three different individuals that really made a fuss that this guy's this you can't take it anymore. And by the way, they went on to replace uh, the book of solid book of Romans and the teaching of sin with the happy book of Philippians because he wanted to teach the joy of Christ. Well, let me tell you. Um, Jesus was fond of telling stories of how men were broken and yet they're alive. These teachers are going to, these false teachers are going to dampen that. And the very thing that gives grace or gives Jesus Christ coming into the world, dying for the sins of the world, this occasion, they are explaining the way. Surely God will not judge. Look at verse 5. He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. <laughs> the flood. Again, maligned, twisted, laughed at, well, then, you know, there may have been a flood, but it was a local flood. Or there may have been a flood, but really everything died. Has God really said everything died? Well, we have fossils that prove that the flood wasn't, uh, you know, worldwide. Listen to that debate we have with Ken Ham and uh, Bill Nye. They're going to deny it. It was judgment. God judged the world because it says that in in Genesis 6, right before the flood, that he saw that every imagination of man was continually evil. God must judge it completely. He's not just going to judge a part of it and let the other go rampant. Well, it's a great way that you're in the western part of the world because the eastern part of the world, I really judge. Is God that way? No. God has no respect for persons. God judges sin. And turning the cities, verse 6 of Sodom and Gomorrah went through this all into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward live ungodly. An example. Men laugh at that. Look what's happening today with the homosexuality, the LGBT, all this stuff like that. The example was that not only this was going on, but the sexual immorality, the anarchy, the, the leaving God out. The men by themselves running amok. That's all sin can do is run amok without God. And God must judge it. Using his great examples. I even knew about the flood before I was a Christian. I had heard about that. I had heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody hears about Sodom and Gomorrah. If they know what sodomy is and so forth. I heard of these things as a kid. But he said there's examples. God judged these places. The flood was a worldwide flood. God judged, look at what, look in Joshua chapter 10, man. Remember when, when, when God said the hailstones down? On certain individuals. God has pointed judgment, God has world catastrophe, but nonetheless, God sends judgment. And we're all heading up to chapter 3 when, when the apostle here is talking about God is going to judge the world. By the same word we're talking about here. 
And false prophets will enter and say, they'll, they'll denounce judgment. There's no judgment. God's not going to judge us. We must understand judgment. Because if we don't understand judgment, folks, listen to this. If we don't understand God and the fact that he must judge sin, we don't understand the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross of Christ shows two things to the world blatantly. One, the love of God, and one, the hatred he has of sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, the remedy for their sinful condition, will not perish. So God loved the world so much he sent his son. Love unfathomable. But yet, he hates sin so much that those that don't believe in it love will perish in sin because sin was judged at the cross. And false teachers will explain that away somehow. It is not our timing here, because my time is getting short, to explain what all ways that they do explain it away. Flip on some type of, of Christian channels or watch TBN or something. I'm not denouncing all TBN, don't get me wrong, but I have had many, many people uh, say, I'm not going to watch that anymore. I'm, not, I'm saying we need to have discernment. We have the flood. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. We see in verse 7, a delivered righteous lot who is opposed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day and seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. That word temptation. That word temptation means that it is set on somebody's ruin. It is set on somebody's captive you know, uh, allurement, temptation is always there to capture. You know, the Bible says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Jude, at the end of his epistle, in Jude 24, says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Before we leave this, this uh, subject of judgment, I want to say this. One uh, passage from Psalm 11, Psalm 11 and a passage from Isaiah 66. Psalm 11, 6 says this, Upon the wicked he will rain coals, Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. What is the lake of fire described as? Lake burning with brimstone. It's a fiery judgment. God has pronounced that men apart from Christ are wicked. Men do not want to look at themselves as wicked. They do not. That's why we were cast aside out teaching the book of Romans because we were too harsh. That's why men today will not accept the fact that the wicked me, I'm wicked. My grandmother, who was, I spent majority of my childhood, I loved her immensely. If she, she died when I was young, if she didn't have Christ, she's, she. She's labeled as wicked. And if she did have Christ, she was a wicked person saved by grace. 
People don't want to look at that, but they must look at that. People would rather go, tell me how beautiful I am. You know? Tell me how beautiful I look. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, wow, I just got my hair done. How, tell me how beautiful I look. You know, I'm a great guy. I want to know how much of a great guy I am. Well, you know, if, if you were to be judged by a human court, well, maybe. But you're to be judged by the divine court. God himself is the judge. He determines what is right and what is wrong, what is godly, what is ungodly, what is wicked and what is not. And the only one not wicked in his sight that walked this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for I. So the cross of Christ, the love of God is shown uh, in the apex of history. So has his hatred on sin. God hates sin. And he judged it in Christ. And now these wicked, filthy dreamers, these false prophets and false teachers, look at the example of history, how God judged the world. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. But he reserved the unjust for the day of judgment. Look at verse 10, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. The Bible says in, in Psalm 119, uh, and elsewhere to keep us from presumptuous sins, Proverbs 30 and elsewhere. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. They're not afraid to speak evil of what they don't know and of what is not in the realm of the, the heavenly realms. They speak evil of. They're self-willed. They're not afraid of God. They're not afraid of judgment. They're not afraid of anything. They're their own person, they're the captain of their fate, and they want to teach you that. That's what all humanism is all about. Package it as Satanism, package it as health help, package it what you will. It's all humanism. It is all teaching man that man can do apart from God. That man's going to be fine apart from God. Man is not going to be fine apart from God. You know, if you look at, at chapter 3, verse 1, this is what Peter's doing. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle of both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. You know? You know, if you know a lot of these things, even if we, we, we you know, think about these things or what have you, or have dealt with these things personally, Paul says, and so does Peter, that he's going to stir up, make, make these things known. They're leaving. They want to impress it because when they're gone, they want the people that they're talking to be able to stand up and to know right from wrong. Look at verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. In other words, they don't take judgment in their own hands. Judgment is reserved for God. Wrath is reserved for him and him alone. This is what Isaiah says. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpse of men who have transgressed against me, says the Lord. For their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be abhorred unto all flesh. Like we said last week, that is exactly the terminology Jesus used in Mark chapter 9. Several times, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. We better give heed to the one that says, I am he, 
And if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. That is strong language. Ah, you Christians are narrow-minded. Yes, I am narrow-minded. I'm very narrow-minded. Because Jesus is. There's two roads. Yeah, there's a broad road. Hey, I'm, I'm an intellectual. Hey, you know. Live and let live, you know. And if there's a broad road, Jesus says, there I am. You choose. Are you going to go on the road where he's at and stand on his word and believe every word of it? Or are you going to stand on the broad road and have the applause of men and be a great guy? And, and you know, and I can live with your theology because it lets me breathe. It lets me be with me and, and, and curiously uh, satisfy the burning conscience I have uh, that all men have, you know. What, what is it? What's the choice that we're going to make? I think I'll, I'll end here. I, you know, the rest of this chapter, before we get into chapter 3, is, you know, basically the depravity of false teachers. They're, they're depraved. They're cursed children. They've forsaken the right way. They've gone in the way of Balaam. They don't know the way of righteousness. Uh, you know, they're full of iniquity. Uh, describing in verse 18 and down, they're empty. They're, they're, you know, they're full of error. They're full of, of hypocrisy. They're full of sin. They promise the way of liberty, but really what they're doing is they're capturing you. They're slaves of corruption. And they're describing these perfectly and understanding what the Bible says about these people. And then in chapter 3, we're going to get to the fact that he is going to say, Hey, you know what? Despite all of this, now that you know that, I'm going to tell you what they're going to do. They're going to come out and they're going to be mockers. They're going to run out to their own will. They're going to say, where is he coming? Is he coming? What? Who? I don't even know this stuff, what you're talking about. Everything's gone on the same. I remember 50 years ago, the sun rose in the, in the east and set in the west. You see this birthmark? I had it when I can remember five years old. I'm 65. It's still there. In other words, things are going on. What, what is this that you're talking about? You know, there's a, there's a great pronouncement in the Word of God in several different ways how God equates eternity with time. Okay, we see it in Psalm 90. We see it in Psalm, or we see it here where Paul says a thousand years is like one day to the Lord. You know, God is not like man. His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. In fact, there's highest from the heaven above the earth. Time is something that man is accustomed to. But when you when you are born again, you start you're in the spiritual realm. You start you start seeing things from God's perspective, and you start looking at the Bible as God's word of God, God's word. You look at the lens of this human history through God's perspective, and things start coming into line. These false teachers don't have that. So with covetous words and everything, they're going to malign you. They're going to lie to you. close with this. I know that uh, several of you know this, and I've, I've said it before, but years and years ago, um, Josh McDowell used to go on the campuses of, of this land, and he made a statement that I've, I, I learned early on. I've used it many, many times myself. Jesus said that in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, includes you, comes to the Father but by him. Either he is a self-deluded maniac, an egotistical man, or he is who he claims to be. 
And all of us at one point or another in our life must grapple with that. So we might as well grapple with that now and take the side of the truth. So when these false teachers and false philosophies and, and the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, which is prevailing in the land now, it's prevailing in the land in the first century, it's, it's gaining speed as we speak. And it simply says they deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They deny that there's only one way to God. They deny that he came into this world by a virgin. They deny the fact that he and he alone answers sin's tyranny. They deny the fact that without him we are all doomed to judgment. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. Mike, you want to pray, please? Father, please give us greater insight and uh, appreciation for your majesty, for your justice, Lord, that our inner man would be built up, that we wouldn't fall away from our first love, Lord, that, that we would grow in, in love as we eagerly await uh, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ when he'll be marveled at among us. And, uh, mm. 